0: Hi everyone, welcome to the Waiting for Margot podcast. The aim of the show is for us to talk about all of the problems that come with starting a family. We grow up thinking that it's going to be so easy, but sometimes it just isn't. We'll talk about pregnancy loss, stillbirth, surrogates, IVF, sperm donors, egg donors, and so much more. I want to open up the conversation, normalise the fact that it's not as easy as we think it's going to be, Break the taboos and talk about the things that we're embarrassed to talk about. The things that we do that we think are shameful or embarrassing or the things that we think that we think that we shouldn't even be thinking. But the main thing is to show everybody that someone else has got a story just like yours. So you're not alone. episode i just thought i would give you my story for a bit of context and then after that each episode i'll have a chat with a guest Uh, so it'll range from experts to women just like you and me i'm natasha and i live in the suburbs of paris with my husband and my daughter lily who is two and a half years old so i thought i'd start off with a why waiting for margot i always knew that my first daughter would be called lily after my grandmother and then after she was born, I knew that the second one would be Margot, after my husband's grandmother. So each time I lost a baby, I just decided that actually that wasn't Margot. That's why they didn't make it. So when my, my daughter Lily, she was 10 months old, my period was maybe one or two days late. And I thought, oh, you know, it's so annoying because we were going on holiday. And I obviously didn't want to be on my period on the holiday. So I was so annoyed that it wasn't coming. And also my period's never late. So I took a test and it was positive. Certainly not planned, but in the end, very much wanted. Just like with my first pregnancy that went by with absolutely no glitches, no problems, um, a little bit of a hiccup at the end when I had a postpartum hemorrhage. But aside from that, a pregnancy where I was very, very blissfully ignorant of the, the possible risks. So this time I did nothing different. Everything was going exactly the same. We had a scan when I was around nine, nine and a half weeks. Uh, At which point everything looked great. I've already put a picture of that scan on on the Instagram account. Looked brilliant. The baby we could see already. She was she. I say she, I don't even know. (laughs) Moving around from side to side, dancing all over the womb. Oh, amazing. So far, everything was going just like the first time. And then one day when, yeah, it was about three days before my three-month scan. I went to the toilet and when I wiped, there was some really pale pinky blood on the paper. I was a little bit worried, but also I'd had friends who had bled uh, in the first trimester and there was just absolutely no problem. So I said, "Okay, we'll just go to the hospital, uh, get things checked out, no problem. We arrived, didn't wait too long, went in for the scan and I could see straight away that nothing was moving. Compared to that baby we'd seen a couple of weeks before that was bouncing from one side of the uterus to the other, absolutely nothing. And I immediately said, oh, it's not moving. And the guy said, no, he said he was sorry and he left the room. Came back a little while later and he told me to go home and said that I could come back on Monday morning at seven o'clock on an empty stomach and they would do a procedure. So at the time it was the least of my worries, but now when I look back, I think it's absolutely crazy. Nobody explained to me what this procedure would be, what would happen, what the risks were, that there were other options. Nobody even said there was another option. So anyway, I did as I was told. I went home, stayed at home for the weekend, spent some time with some girlfriends. I went back at seven o'clock on Monday morning. And it was just such an awful day. I thought, you know, it was going to be one of those things that would be quite quick. But I arrived at 7am and by the time I went down to surgery, it was three o'clock in the afternoon, maybe half past three. So, yeah, I'm sure as you can imagine, I was absolutely starving. I was petrified. I'd never been in an operating theatre before. I was absolutely terrified of general anaesthetic and everything. So all of that time just stewing in my fear and hunger. And then, of course, once it was over, it was over. And I know a lot of people talk about having to carry around the dead baby and how terrible it is, which when you hear it said like that, it does sound awful. But for me, in my personal case, I was actually grateful to have those extra few days. And and for that time that the baby was still inside me, the baby was still mine. So after that, anyway, we went home and felt so grateful that we already had our our daughter to, to go home to, which did certainly make things a lot easier. So the next part in the story is obviously grief, trying to get over things. What do you do next? When can we try again? And this is a point in the story where I need to tell you another pretty big part of my life. So after the surgery was done, the doctor came to see us and she she was so lovely, so nice. And she said, yeah, everything's fine now. Uh, as soon as you're ready, you can try again. And I remember just already sinking, I, I can't try again. So I have a genetic mutation called BRCA1. It's what some people might know as the Angelina Jolie gene. My mum had uh, breast cancer when she was 42 and then ovarian cancer when she was 44. So that's when she had testing and we found out that she, she had this mutation, at which point I think was about 16 years old. So it was my choice. I could have the test to see if I'd inherited it when I was 18. And well, I chose not to at the time. It was just after I met my husband and we'd been together for a couple of years Um, and, you know, we were thinking about a family. So, yeah, it was when I was 25. I'm almost 32 now. When I was 25, I decided it just felt like the right time to do the test. And we got the bad news that I had inherited the gene, which meant that my chances of getting breast cancer at some point in my life are 87 percent compared to around 10 percent of the general population of people with breasts and ovarian cancer around 65 percent compared to around one percent for the the average uh, person who has ovaries so the protocol here if you choose to it's completely your decision is to have a preventative surgery the first thing there would be to have your breast removed have a mastectomy and if you want to then a reconstruction so at this point when i was 25 i said to myself and pretty much to all of my family that i would do this when i was 30. The gene came down from my grandfather's side, who was an only child. And so in terms of family history, we didn't have much to go on. But his mother, my grandfather's mother, died of breast cancer when she was 36. And my mother got cancer when she was 44. So for me, 30 felt like the right time. So as you do with my husband, we created our little life plan. Uh, We wanted to have one child, then get married, and then have another child after. And all this would happen before I would turn 30. And then at 30, I could have my surgery. But obviously, life doesn't go the way that you plan it. When we first started trying to conceive, I was 26 and nothing happened. I think we were trying for about 18 months and then it got to the point where we went to the doctors. We'd been prescribed some tests to do. Thing was that I had to do these tests on the third day of my period. And for me, it was a blood test. Now, after my mother being so ill uh, from when I was about 14 with cancer and the chemotherapy and everything, I kind of developed a very, very serious phobia of blood tests. So not needles at all, but specifically blood tests in that area of the body. You know, um, when she was sick, her arms were always black. It was so hard to find a, a vein. So yeah, it was pretty serious. So the problem was my period wasn't coming. But Because I knew that when my period came, I would have to have a blood test, I was absolutely 100% convinced that it was psychological. My period wasn't coming because I was terrified. So my period was about two, maybe almost three weeks late before I took a pregnancy test, uh, which came back positive. And so by the time I gave birth to my daughter, I was 29 years old. So then it was time for me to start thinking about surgery seriously. When she was six months old, that's when I turned 30. I was still breastfeeding. Then a couple of months after that, that's when I found out that I I was pregnant again and by accident. So when I lost that baby and I was trying to, you know, come to terms with it, I was looking at Instagram accounts and help groups, support groups and all these kinds of things. And, you know, women were getting to the point that they were ready to, to try again and they were having rainbow babies. But for me, even though I felt ready... I wasn't allowed to, in my mind. In my mind, what was taken over was, you need to have a mastectomy, you can't try again. Soon after that, the pandemic started. And then towards the end of the summer in 2020, we had a discussion with my husband. And we decided, because non-essential surgeries uh, had been stopped because of COVID, it was probably a good time. We might as well try again now, because I don't know when I will be able to have the mastectomy anyway. So we tried again, and that was a full year after my first miscarriage. I got pregnant immediately. And even though the last pregnancy had been a bit of a shock, this was a shock again. It took us so long to get pregnant for the first time. And now it was just like, we only have to look at each other and I'm pregnant. I felt so good as well. I felt like, oh yeah, this this one's good. This one's going to stick. Then when I was about six weeks along, I started spotting. And I immediately said to my husband, I was uh, in the toilet, there was blood and not a massive amount, just a little bit. I said, oh, it's happening again. I wasn't quite as calm and nonchalant as I'm making it sound, obviously. But I was almost immediately making my peace in my head that, okay, well, it's it's happening again, that's it. So we went to have a scan. We were just waiting again to see a dead baby on the screen like we had last time. And then it happens and we immediately hear this heartbeat and we just have this breakdown both of us in tears like it's crazy not at all what we were expecting so just this roller coaster of emotion he told us everything was fine he didn't know why i was bleeding Uh, couldn't explain it but the baby was fine so no problem we arranged another scan for a week later to check, see what was going on. Again, a baby growing, still bleeding, no problem. Then when I was coming up to nine weeks, it was just before Christmas and my parents were coming. So I wanted to tell them I was pregnant and I wanted it to be a happy event and I wanted to be sure. So I booked uh, another scan at a different hospital just the day before I came so that I knew I wanted to be sure in my head when I told them that I was pregnant, that, that I really was. And also I wanted to see if somebody could tell me something more than just, oh, well, it's fine that you're bleeding because the baby's okay. Why can't we explain it? People had spoken to me about uh, subchronic hematomas, but he told me he couldn't see one. I wanted a second opinion, basically. So we get to the scan. I think it's going to be amazing because this place is so expensive. So I think, oh yeah, it must be lovely and the real expert. But it was honestly one of the worst experiences ever. So when a guy starts doing the scan, I can see, you know, he's not saying anything. So by this point, I, I know, I can kind of see on the screen that nothing's moving. Normally you can you can see the heart moving, even when you can't hear it, you can see a little flutter he's not saying anything so I said could you just say something can you just say there's a problem I can't cope with this he wasn't saying anything at all he was completely ignoring me at this point you know he was getting a bit kind of heavy-handed with the probe it was it was really hurting me and I was saying that it was hurting me but he wasn't listening he wasn't saying anything he wasn't stopping and then after what felt like an eternity he eventually said yeah there's no heartbeat told me to go to a gynecologist left the room and that was that so after that, I sent a message to my midwife and I said, I've just had this pretty terrible experience, not only because the baby's dead, but this guy was just uh, awful. No bedside manner. He hasn't really explained to me what I need to do next or anything. Tell me to go to a gynecologist, but is it OK if I wait to get an appointment? She said, no, absolutely not. You need to go back to the hospital. So we went to the hospital and what I would find out later is that actually this time I was quite lucky because they allowed my husband to come in with me. So yeah, this was in December 2020. the doctor did another scan confirmed uh, that the baby had died and then she asked me if I if I wanted to take medication or if I wanted to discuss a DNC I said if I have a choice I absolutely want to avoid a DNC it wasn't a very pleasant experience for me and she said that's fine we can try the medical route you can take the pill and I said well it's crazy like why did nobody offer me this option last time and she said I don't know they should have So even now, I don't know if there's any reason why they didn't offer it to me. As I said before, nothing was really explained to me. I didn't really know what was going on. I will just add here as well that I live in the suburbs of Paris. So your experience might differ completely in other countries, but I feel like here the inconsistency between what we're told by one doctor and another is just crazy. Anyway, she gave me the pill and told me to have another ultrasound in a week to make sure that everything was gone. Physically speaking, my miscarriages have been relatively easy. They've always been missed miscarriages in the sense that I definitely didn't know the baby had died until it was confirmed on a scan. I hadn't had any kind of pain, any kind of excessive bleeding, just slight spotting, which can be normal in, in early days of pregnancy. So I took the pill around six PM. We came home from the hospital. I had dinner. I was in a bit of pain. I'd taken some paracetamol, but that was about it. And then maybe around nine o'clock, ten o'clock after I'd put my daughter to bed. Then I just had to go to the toilet. See so yeah obviously you can feel but essentially you don't know really your your pregnancy coming out, your cervix has expanded, so whatever's in there is coming out and that's what's really hard for me as well is that okay so I don't know which bit is which do I look do I not look if I look maybe I can actually see my baby it's the only chance I'll ever get maybe that'll traumatize me I don't know am I literally flushing my baby down the toilet right now I don't know after that I went to bed I took a sleeping pill slept eight or nine hours uh, and then when I woke up there was no more pain now this time I decided Well, we decided that we would try again immediately. We'd already been told that nobody was going to do any tests on either of us, give us any help until we'd had three miscarriages. So this was miscarriage number two. So we decided, okay, if there's something wrong, the only way we can find out what's wrong is by having another baby die, which is absolutely insane. So anyway, we'd had the all clear to to try again, no problem. Same thing again, barely looked at each other, pregnant immediately, didn't even have a a period, so pregnant on the first cycle. This time I'd been given obviously the first blood test where they tested the HCG and the doctor had given me a couple of extra prescriptions to go and get blood tests after a week and then another week uh, to see the HCG progression. So I think it was from maybe week six going into week seven. I got the results on week seven of my blood test that showed that the HCG had only just a little bit more than doubled in seven days or eight days, actually, which was uh, devastating to read. So normally these levels are supposed to, in the beginning anyway, uh, double every two or three days. So then in my head, the baby was dead. Two days later, I waited two days because it was my husband's birthday the day that I got those uh, results and we were having some friends over for for a lunch for his birthday on the Saturday. So we waited till Monday also when our daughter would be with the babysitter. So we'd be able to go to the hospital without worrying about her. So we went into the hospital on the Monday, uh, had a scan, and the doctor said, everything's fine, baby's fine, heartbeat, no problems. And I'm thinking this is crazy, like how, how can this be normal? That the HTG is not increasing, but everything's fine? It doesn't make any sense. So yet again, you're in this kind of limbo. Well, for me, something's wrong, but the doctors are telling me that everything's fine. But how can everything be fine if I'm bleeding or if the hormone levels aren't rising as they should? So a week after this, we go back to our original ultrasound guy, who's really nice. He did a scan again, he said everything's fine, the heartbeat's fine, the baby's the right size, but... Okay, so I'm happy to hear this but, because it means maybe I'm going to get some kind of information, some kind of explanation, finally. He said, but the gestational sac is uh, too small. Okay, so uh, sometimes it can catch up, but if it's too small, then the baby doesn't have enough room to grow any further so if the baby can't grow the baby can't survive and then he said something that kind of killed me actually maybe I wasn't thinking so much about it in the moment but when I got home I was so angry uh, he said yeah in your last pregnancy the sack was small as well he said I didn't say anything because I didn't want to worry you but I thought oh my god I was on such a roller coaster and I'd got this hope and I wasn't prepared really enough for the inevitable essentially And then I did remember, actually, when I look back to that uh, previous pregnancy and comparing it to the pregnancy before, which was my first miscarriage. And like I said, I could see the the baby like bouncing around from side to side in the the uterus. And I remember thinking to myself that other time, I can see the heartbeat. That's great and everything. But the baby's not moving. It's not dancing. But obviously, I didn't think much more of it than that. Uh, And so he sent us away, obviously, gave us an appointment uh, one week later to check progression. And it's such a shitty time because you don't know what to think, what to feel, what to do. You don't know whether you're supposed to be hopeful or still thinking about having this baby or whether you should be resigning yourself to the fact that it's over. I read on a forum somewhere that uh, some woman had said that uh, she had a small gestational sack and she drank gallons and gallons of water and it resolved itself a week later. So I was drinking God knows how much water. I'm just trying to do absolutely anything I could to try and get this uh, gestational sac to grow. It's another crazy thing, though, about pregnancy loss and miscarriage. I don't like the word miscarriage, but miscarriage is that I used to think, and I think a lot of people do, and it's what the movies teach us and... TV shows and everything. You think that a miscarriage or a pregnancy loss is a day. It happens in a day. You're in pain, you bleed, the baby comes out, and then that's it. But in reality, it takes days and weeks even. So that week was an absolute roller coaster for me. I was going through these feelings of uh, just despair and also just trying to tell myself just act like the baby is gone and then it can't hurt you. But then at the same time, it's so hard not to have hope. And obviously, I'm still having symptoms, I've got morning sickness and especially the day that i went in for the uh, the checkup scan a week later i had such intense morning sickness and i was telling myself oh god this is insane if i'm not pregnant this is insane and then we went in for the scan and the heartbeat had stopped so in that moment i joined the club the 1% who have uh, three consecutive miscarriages the crazy thing is as well when i talk about those symptoms that i had that morning even after i completed the miscarriage because your hormone levels are still there I was still having morning sickness when I was very much not pregnant anymore again in this miscarriage uh, physically it wasn't the worst experience it wasn't so painful really wasn't so bad this time it was a Friday night and I I just wanted it gone I wanted it to be over so I asked my husband to drop me off at the hospital and to just leave me after the scan that I'd had a couple of weeks before that first scan where they said that there was a heartbeat and it was okay. They hadn't allowed my husband to come in with me. And I think that was part of the reason as well that I'd wanted to go for this scan before going back to the hospital. Because I just wanted him to be there when we saw that it was dead. I didn't want to see it dead for the first time alone. And he was quite hesitant, No, like, I want to come with you. But our babysitter wasn't available to stay longer. So I just said to him, no, you drop me off at the hospital, go and be with uh, Lily. I'll be fine. I'm an expert now. I know what I'm doing. They'll give me the pill and then I'll come home. The problem was, though, when I arrived, it was very busy. And I think when your baby is already dead, obviously, and for good reasons, you get put to the back of the queue. So I ended up being in the emergency in the waiting room for six and a half hours. And as many of you will know, certainly the way it is in France anyway, is that the place you go when your baby dies is the same place you go when you give birth. So for the majority of those six hours, I had to sit and listen to other people's babies being born. There's a change I'd like to see, actually. Why? I mean, would it be so difficult for there to be a separate room for people whose pregnancies have ended? Or, yeah, just a separate waiting room or somewhere they can go and wait where they can't hear babies being born. So I got my pill eventually, took it, went home. It took significantly longer for me to start to feel any pain and for anything to happen. And what I felt come out felt a lot less. And at the same time, I was only maybe five days less pregnant than I was the time before. So I was a bit worried that there would be some remaining tissue or something, some kind of problem, and that I would have to have a, a DNC, and c which I really wanted to avoid. So I had a scan a week later um, and they told me that there was some tissue left inside um, so that I would need to go and see a doctor. I went to go and see a doctor the next day who did another scan and said that in the space of 24 hours, this tissue had disappeared. So that was uh, good news. That doctor that I saw as well was a fertility specialist. Before that, I'd been given a referral to get some blood tests done. So this kind of golden ticket of blood tests, the ones that you finally get when you've lost three babies which my gynecologist, who's not a fertility specialist, had given to me. So I'd done everything in my power to get these done before I would see this fertility specialist. And so one of them showed up that, you know, there's some kind of indication of maybe an underactive thyroid. But then when I saw the fertility specialist, he said, oh, well, the doctor should have told you not to do these tests immediately because being so close to your last pregnancy, they could mess with the results a bit. They might not be reliable. So that's the point I'm at now. I'm waiting for my next period to have these tests done again to see if we can find any issues and see where we move on from there. Thank you so much for listening to the first episode of Waiting for Margot. If you liked it and you want to hear more, please leave a review and of course subscribe. Also come and join me on Instagram so at waiting for Margot. Margot is M-A-R- i I'd love to hear from you as well so you can always send me an email at waitingformargo@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Thanks again and see you for the next episode.